Good morning, Abundant Life Church. It is so great to be with you. Uh, my name is Jeremy, the lead pastor here, and we're thrilled that you're a part of this with us. I want to let you know a couple exciting things coming up. Next week is Father's Day. Good job. The rest of you are like, oh, I've got work to do. So now you know. That's your friendly one-week warning. Uh, but we're going to do something really fun around here uh, that hopefully I don't regret. I have invited my dad to come and be our guest speaker next week for Father's Day. Uh, yeah, so we'll see how this goes because I don't know what he's going to say. Um, I said, hey, Dad, uh, what, like, what stories do you think you might share? And he's like, why? I'm like, I just want to tell my version first. Like, just... But he wouldn't do it. So uh, my dad has been a pastor as long as I have been alive. He's an incredible communicator. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. You're not going to want to miss that. So uh, please come back next week and be a part of that with us. Bring someone with you. Uh, it's going to be a great time uh, celebrating guys, but then also just talking about what God wants to say uh, through him uh, next weekend. So we want to encourage you to be a part of that. The other thing that we've been telling you about is coming up in August, August 9th and 10th, the Global Leadership Summit. Uh, we've told you about this. We've already got a number of you that have signed up. Uh, but a lot of people are still going, what is this? It's a two-day conference. Uh, it's a Thursday and a Friday in the middle of the day. We're hosting it at our Happy Valley campus. And we're going to come together. We're going to watch a broadcast from, uh, from a church in, in um, Chicago. And it's going to be an incredible two days of encouragement and learning and growing and challenging our, ourselves and, and, and just uh, digging in deeper together. And I just want to encourage you, this is for all of us. Whether you are a business leader or a stay-at-home mom or a student or you are retired, uh, wherever you're at, this is an incredible resource. A lot of people ask, well, what's the purpose of this? See, normally I would just take our staff to something like this and go, we're going to get better. We're going to be encouraged. Let's all go do it together. But the way that the summit does it is you can become a host site, uh, which all that means is we're going to put a lot of work on so that you can attend it here and you can be a part of it with us because I believe it is that valuable for you. So I want to encourage you. It's $89 if you sign up right now. Uh, we are, are, you know, getting the spots reserved for it. We're so excited. And in case you're going, I still not quite sure what this two-day conference is going to be that, you know, we're going to broadcast. I want to show you a little video that gives you a taste of previous years of the summit so you have kind of an idea uh, of what's entailed for this year. So check this out. Wouldn't it be great if we said the purpose of work is discover that which you love? Creativity, resilience, focus, innovation, collaboration, all the stuff that we all say that we want comes from that feeling of, oh my word, I love what I do. Resilience is our ability to overcome hardship and it is a muscle and we build it. Don't ask me how much you have. Ask me how you can build it. White space is a strategic pause taken between activities. I urge you to develop your creativity so that you may inspire your people to be more creative because that is how we create a better world. If you are a leader, give your people more freedom than you are comfortable with. Leadership requires that the people we are serving believe that we are with them. However long your life is, is your gift and it is up to you how you choose to use it. The moment you start criticizing, you stop learning. And when you stop learning, you stop leading. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that with us. Uh, again, you can sign up on our website or there's a, a alcpdx.com forward slash summit. Uh, that's a great way to go and get plugged in now. Uh, it's going to be one of those things where here, here's what's going to happen. Uh, for those of you who are like, ah, I'm not sure. You're going to hear all of us talking about it the following week. And you're going to go, man, that sounded cool. I wish I was a part of it. So don't want you to miss it. Sign up with us. Uh, we're going to think uh, it's going to be amazing. 
Uh, we're concluding a series today we've been in for the last month called Overflow. So if you've got your journals that you've been holding on to uh, for the last four weeks, way to go. We're going to be in week four there. If not, uh, just open something with notes or a note app on your phone. I encourage you to write down what you uh, feel God communicating to you today. And then in our Bibles, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. First uh, Timothy is in the New Testament, so I encourage you to check that out if you've got a physical analog Bible with you. And uh, if you've got a Bible app on a phone, you can get that out as well. And uh, that's where we're going to be in just a moment. We begin the series talking about some of the ideas behind overflow. What, what does this mean? What, what do we need to do to experience that? Then last week I began talking about some practical steps that we can take to actually do it. Uh, generosity is one of those things that we talk about, and, and then unless we are willing to act on it, it's not usually going to be uh, the case. It's not going to change anything. So two things that I said last week, if you're with us, uh, was number one, automate your values. Figure out in advance what's important to you, and then create a system where it automatically is going to happen. Uh, and so automatically, you know, send the things, uh, your resources, where you want them to go, as opposed to hoping it happens. And the second one is plan your generosity, that no one's going to accidentally be generous. It's going to take some forethought and, and, and a decision to go, I want that to be true of me. And so these are two things we talked about last week. You can watch that online in case you missed it. Uh, but we're going to build on those two things today. And we're going to talk about two other ideas of practical ways to experience overflow, to experience generosity. Well, what I want to do is I want to read together 1 Timothy chapter 6. We begin reading in verse 6, and, and I'm going to read something that the Apostle Paul wrote to, uh, to Timothy. And this is incredibly profound stuff, and it's easy just to go, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I've heard it before. I, I want us just to read it slowly and just to ponder the incredible perspective uh, that Paul is sharing here, because it is very unusual in our culture today. This is not the perspective that most of us hear uh, the minute we walk out of these doors. We, we hear other perspectives. And so we're going to let the Bible just, just re, you know, reorient our heads a little bit and go, okay, this is the way we should think of it. Uh, so here's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Paul writes this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing... We will be content with that. Isn't that an amazing sentence. We will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the love, not money itself, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's just a beautiful, simple idea of how to think about money from a kingdom perspective. It reminds me of something that Dr. Martin Luther King said. He said, the means by which we live have outdistanced the ends for which we live. That oftentimes the, 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 the things that we're doing now uh, do not, you know, they're not in line with what we're saying is the ends that we're, we're achieving or, or, or we're aiming for. And so we talk about overflow. That becomes the end that we want to experience. We want to experience overflow. Well, then there's, there's certain things that we have to do in order to achieve that, which are likely very different than what we're actually doing it. Why is contentment so hard? Why, why do we always feel this need for more? Uh, let me just invite you to think about a few uh, things that you own. Think about the clothes in your closet right now. How many of you think, I never need to buy another piece of clothing for the rest of my life? A few hands, I think you guys are probably lying. Uh, the rest of us are like, no, I probably will buy more clothes. Why? 
Well, because we, we need other clothes, right? Because the ones that we have aren't going to cut it. Now think about one of your favorite items of clothing, okay? Or something you've had for a long time, a go-to that you, that you have. Just think about, you know, th- that piece of clothing or any other ones. Do you remember the first time you wore it? Remember that time you bought it and you couldn't wait? You, you, you broke it out for a special occasion. And, and when you wore it, you just, you just felt different, didn't you? You're like a newer version of you. And you looked a little slim or maybe you just felt like, I'm on my A game today. And, and you kind of had that little skip in your step when you walked around because you were wearing that piece of clothing. But then the second time you wore it, didn't have quite the same feel. And the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time, and... And now maybe you wear it today and you're like, oh, that old thing. I guess if I don't have the laundry done, I'll wear that. You know, it's, wh- what happened? How do we move so far from where we begin? Or think about your job. You know, maybe, maybe you're like, I need another job. I, I, I can't stand my job. You know, I, I just, I'm miserable. But do you remember there was probably a day where you were incredibly grateful to get that job? Do you remember maybe they gave you an offer letter and you were, you were holding this offer letter and you couldn't believe that, that your employer was giving you a position. They're going to pay me? And maybe you, you remember your first day showing up to work, and you had those butterflies in your stomach, and you're going, I get to work here. And maybe now you're going, I need a new job. What, what happened? Or think about the home that you live in. Remember the first night you stayed there? You know, maybe you're in a sleeping bag on the floor, but you were so pumped that that was where you were going to have your home. And you couldn't wait to move in and, and, and get situated. And maybe now all you think about is we got to move. We need to upgrade. We need to go to a different neighborhood. We need to, and, and we just lose this perspective. Because what happens is our brains get used to things. And when we get used to things, we lose sight of, of what's going on. It's why when you uh, maybe have fallen asleep in front of the TV, you've ever had this happen? And, and so you're passed out in your favorite you know, chair or spot on the couch and, and the TV's on and one of your family members turns the TV off and you wake up and you go, hey, I was watching that. <laughs> ever had that happen? And they're looking at you like, no, you are drooling on yourself. Like you're definitely not watching that, you know? But, but it was the, the, the noise you got used to it and as soon as it changed, it woke you up. And it's a little bit of what we need because we get used to things and it wears off. Athletes have been interviewed about how long does happiness last after a victory? You know the answer? They say about three hours. Three hours is when you start to go, all right, now I'm on to something else. This, this thing that they had worked so hard to achieve and then it's like, yeah, 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 I, I need something new. I, I love a quote from an author named Fumio Sasaki. He said, we have everything we thought we wanted in the past. Now what he's saying is not that you had everything that you ever wanted. He's saying everything you currently own is something at one point in the past you wanted and you got it. Isn't that amazing to think about? Everything you have you wanted in the past at one point and you got all those things. How pumped are you? Well, yeah, but I, I want more. And it's... Yeah, but I mean, I mean, that's just not, so you begin to realize it's not about how much you have. It's not about getting more or having less. It's about the perspective that we have with whatever we have. And that's what we need to address when it comes to contentment. And, and so if you're writing these things down of how to practically live in the overflow, number three on the list that I would give you is to aggressively pursue contentment. Now, it's kind of like being a generous person going, yeah, I want to be content. Well, just wanting to be content 
is not going to help you. You have to aggressively pursue contentment. You have to say, you know what? I'm going to do weird things that only content people do, and that way I will experience it. And this is something you do continually. It doesn't end. It's not like, hey, I check it off the list. I, I became a content person. It is every day rewiring yourself going, you know what? Today I'm going to choose to aggressively pursue this. I want to experience contentment. The first week of the series, we showed you a video of a, a doctor, and she had just felt like God had, had revealed something to her for her finances. And, and it was this line, she said, I have to work like a doctor and live like a nurse. It was an incredible statement of contentment. I, I, this is how much I have, but I don't need it all. And so I'm, I'm going to learn to be happy, to be content with what's left. Let me give you a little thought experiment. Imagine that I asked you right now, uh, get out a piece of paper, and I want you to write down, list every single thing you own. Okay? You have to write it on paper. You can spend as much time as you need, but you have to literally write it out, every single item. So uh, whatever's in your closet, you have to write it down per item. You have to list everything in your house. Go room by room if you want, whatever, however you want to do it. You have to list it all out because here's the catch. Everything that you don't include on the list, you have to give away. Now, how many of us feel good about our chances of writing everything down? How many of us are like, well, I, I'd be fine. I wouldn't have to give anything away. No, most of us would go home and go, oh, oh, I forgot about that, and I forgot about that, and I forgot about that. And you'd realize you have no room in your head for all of the stuff that you own. And yet, we need more. We need more stuff. Contentment is such a hard idea. And people have been trying to argue for contentment for centuries. This is not a new idea. We're just not very good at it. Let me show you the way that the Greeks said it. it said, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. It's contentment. The Romans said it like this. It is not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more that is poor. When we go to America, go, oh, yeah, we're, we're great at this, right? Right in, in America? No. In fact, the American dream, the way we often describe it, is usually an, an, you know, antithetical to contentment. You, you can have more. You can deserve more. You can work for more. You can get more. And we go, yeah, that's what it means to be an American. Then we wonder, why are we not content? Why are we not happy with any of this? Why do we just feel burdened by this need of always getting more? It's because that's what the scriptures are telling us about, and we're, we're missing a lot of this in the way that we live. I even came across an example of this this week that cracked me up, and, and I realized we're so far removed from contentment that we're now making things that make us less content. For example, here's a clock that I found this week. This is called a uh, what's it, right? time since launch clock. Okay? This is a single-use clock. You, you buy this thing, it has a pin attached to it. You wait for a key moment of your life, whatever that is. You got married, you started a job, you, I don't know, you committed to something, right? And all of a sudden you pull the pin and it starts a timer. And this thing starts, you know, racking up the hours and days and minutes and all that uh, since you pulled the pin. So you can remember it's been this long. And, and let me read the slogan on the website because uh, this blew me away. Time since lunch is a single-use Long-scale launch clock. Pull the pin to begin counting for 2,738 years. What? 
we are making things that are going to last 3,000 years? Okay, let me just illustrate this in case you're not understanding this. We are making things that for the next roughly 3,000 years, people can remember some big moment in our life. Let me ask you, pick, pick someone, in, you know, a grandparent, but your favorite grandparent you have. If they had pulled the pin on this on some moment in their life and they gave the clock to you, where would you hang it? That's your favorite grandparent, okay? Now imagine your great, 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 great grandparent that you never met and you have no idea what event they were celebrating. What would you do to sell? You wouldn't care about it. We will be long since dead when this thing keeps counting up and we're going, I need that so that I can remember for thousands of years this moment in my life. You won't get to enjoy it. But we have this distorted reality that we go, yeah, I need a clock that can count that high. You don't. You will be dead. You don't need to enjoy it. And your kids don't care about this moment in your life. And yet I realize we just are so deep in this. We're making stuff now going, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. I need one of those clocks. I'm not giving you the website because I don't want you to buy it. So that's it. <laughs> Jump down to verse 17. I want to show you what Paul continues in this argument in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes this in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Is that your view of God today? He richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Oh, yeah, I want that kind of life. How do I get life that is truly life? What do I have to get? What do I need to acquire to get life like that? Paul says you got to give it away. You want life like that? It's when you are generous and you are willing to share. You go, yeah, yeah, here's, here's what I have. You, you enjoy it too. And all of a sudden we begin to experience the life that is really life. Well, what you realize with Paul's argument here is he's, he's offering you two ways of, of you can put your hope in this or you can put your hope in this. And we realize that this is really a fundamental decision each one of us has to make. And here's what I would say. The goal is not to be financially independent, but financially free. Most of the advice that you'll get on money, you read books, you listen to podcasts, whatever, is going to tell you how to be financially independent. Do these five things and you'll never, you know, have a need. You'll be great. And so we go, I'm going to build this up so that I never have to depend on another person. I've got it under control. And we go, yes, that would be an amazing position to be in. But not if you're a Christian. Because the goal should never be financial independence. Because what that means is dependence upon yourself. The goal is dependence upon Jesus. No, it's not about me being able to take care of every need I ever have. It's about me learning that freedom is letting go of my sense of dependence on me. Freedom is going, I don't have to rely on myself anymore. I can rely on what Jesus is inviting me to experience. That's a totally different way of managing your stuff. Now, let me ask you this. If you had to think about your own situation, would you say that the money that you have 
has led to a sense of control in your life. That the more you have, the more control you feel like you have over your situation, over your future, over any variables of what might happen. And I would say, yeah, and that's been true in my life. Now let me ask you the follow-up question. Has that control become an idol? Where you, you, you serve the sense of control you have because you love the feeling of being independent. But really, it's a dependence on yourself. And could you experience Jesus? in radical new ways if you're willing to let go of that idol and replace it with a dependence on him. Not an independence on what you can do and, and taking care of everything, but learning how to release that idol. Like when I'm going to learn how to depend upon Jesus. And maybe we would see Jesus in an entirely new way if we could learn to surrender that idol of control to him and our financial independence. So the fourth step that I have learned that has allowed me to experience overflow is to commit to progressive giving. Now, here's what progressive giving is. And I, I explained a little bit of my own story last week. But Michelle and I, we, uh, years and years and years ago, we started praying on going, God, give us a percentage that you want us to commit to giving to you. And so what we did is we found that percentage. We automated that. So that's automatically going. So any giving we give uh, that year is going to be above and beyond the percentage we have already committed to. But then what we do every year is we get together and we pray about, all right, God, how high do you want us to increase it? By a percent? By 2%? 3%? And every year we get together and we pray about it. And we compare notes. And, and some years it's, it's a little bit of fear involved. Like, really? You're thinking that number? <sighs> okay, let's try it. But every year is an, it, it's a moment for us to decide we're not depending on ourselves we're going to depend on him. And I promise you, if you commit to progressive giving, that you say every year, I'm going to give more than I gave the year before. Uh, it gives you an incremental way to get to the end of overflow that you want. But you can do it in little bite-sized chunks. Every year, I'm going to get more and more dependent on him. You will be amazed at how you will experience Jesus in new ways. Uh, there's these moments where it's like very fearful. There's moments where it's very exciting. There's been years where, you know, I got a, a great promotion or she got, you know, more business coming in. It's like, hey, this will be easy to up our percentage this year. There's other years where you're like, we went down and this is going to be tough. And, and we're going to really feel it when we increase this number. But it's a way for us to decide we are not going to build an empire around us. We're going to, to keep challenging ourselves, to keep pushing ourselves, to every year experience him more. And here's what scares me. I, you know, I'm a fairly young guy. I don't know where we're going to stop on this. Like, I don't know, like, what percentage are we going to get to where we're like, all right, this makes no more sense. You know, we can't do it. But every year we just commit to progressive giving. Hey, we're just going to keep challenging ourselves. We're going to keep pushing ourselves. And every year we see Jesus in fresh ways as a result. And this is incredibly easy to do. It begins by just going, okay, here's, here's a starting point. We're going to start and we're going to pick a percentage. And, and I would just encourage you, ask God. Hey, God, what, what do you want us to commit to giving? And then, you know, with nothing else, we're for sure at least going to do that. And you automate it. And you, you commit that to him and you know that's our, our baseline we're going to start with. And then every year you go, okay, we're going to up it. And set it, you know, mark a date on your calendar. We're going to have this conversation about how we're going to increase it. And you'll be amazed at what will happen when you do this. See, a question I get asked a lot and a lot of Christians wrestle with, well, what's the right amount to give? Right? When we talked about this 2.6% number last couple weeks, uh, well, what's, what's the right number? If you're a Christian, what, what should we know? What does it mean to be faithful? 
And to that question, I want to give you a C.S. Lewis quote that I think is the best answer to that question I have ever heard. And it's become one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes ever. If you don't know C.S. Lewis, he's an author, theologian, incredible thinker. But he wrote, he wrote this idea that I think about often whenever I'm thinking about my own giving, going, well, what, am, am I doing what I should do? Here's C.S. Lewis's response. I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If, in other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. He concludes with this thought. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. That's an incredible answer to how much should we give? Well, we should give sacrificially where you go, I can't do certain things I would normally be able to do because I have already given that money elsewhere. And so it will not be used in the normal way. Well, how do you know if you're doing this? Well, think about people who are in your same income bracket, okay? So maybe these are coworkers or people who live near you, however you want to think about that. People in the same income bracket as you. Do you take the same kinds of vacations that they take? Do you live in the same house like they, like they live in? Do you drive the same vehicle that they drive? These are all just ways of applying this going, are you living at the exact same threshold as the people who make the same amount? Because if the answer is yes, you're not really living out this idea. The moment you go, yeah, they make the same as me and they can do all kinds of things that we can't do because we're giving that money away. We're, we're committing that. Is when you know you've begun to sacrificially give this, to give more than we can spare, as Lewis puts it. See, our normal thought is this. Why should I give this away? Like in anything, whether that's a percentage of your money or that's something or, or God is nudging you and you're like, Why? Should I give this away? It's like the stop sign that we put on God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Until I can figure out a good answer to this, because the burden for this argument is intuitively against generosity. Why should I give this away? When this is the question that you ask, you will always struggle to be generous, right? Why should I give this away? Give me a good reason, God. Give me a good reason, Pastor. Why should I give this away? I would say it's the wrong question. What if the question was this instead? Why shouldn't I give this away? I'm going to give it away anyways. You better convince me to keep it. Like notice how, how different mentality that is. Hey, God, this is all yours. So I'm just, I'm going to default to assume all of it goes away unless you tell me to keep some of it. That is a radically different way of thinking about it. It puts the, the onus on generosity going, yeah, that's, that's the goal. I'm going to be overflow. So if you want me to keep something, God, you're going to have to convince me why I need to keep it as opposed to just letting it go, as opposed to giving it to those around me. Now, maybe you're, you're going, okay, yeah, these, these are ideas, these are good, but I'm still struggling to, to, you know, personalize this for myself. So let me illustrate this for you. I have here a bag, a party size bag, 42 ounces of peanut M&M's. I got any peanut M&M fans in the house today? Oh, man, these, let me tell you what. So here's what I want you to imagine, okay? I want you to imagine you're a little kid, and your dad comes to you, and he says, hey, just noticing you're doing great right now, so I just wanted to bless you. I bought you the party-sized bag of peanut M&M's. Oh, dad, you're the best. 
thank you. And so you get this bag and you start eating these peanut M&Ms and oh man, do you love peanut M&Ms. But you can't eat just one peanut m M&M. and I mean, who, who can do that? And so you start eating them, and you just keep eating them. You're going, oh, my dad is the greatest dad in the whole world. I mean, the, the fact that he would just do this for me is so amazing. I love my dad. And you just eat these M&Ms, and you are happy, and you are loving life, and you are loving your dad, and everything is great. Until you realize you've eaten the whole bag. Some of you have been there, evidently. Now, Imagine you eat the whole bag of M&M's. How do you feel after that? Probably not great, right? And so maybe you're going to have the the party size uh, fun in the bathroom uh, when you're done. Uh, because that is going to make its way out of your body because it's not, you know, it's not good in there. And so uh, imagine now, sorry to get graphic, you're huddled over the toilet. You are vomiting the, the peanut M&M's back into the toilet. And you think... I cannot believe my dad would do this to me. He's the worst dad ever. And so you're in there and you are so mad at your dad. How could he treat you like this? How could he put you in this situation? You're going, oh, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. It's going to be party size, you know. And, And so you are so mad. And so finally, once you recover enough, you walk out there and you go, dad, I need to have words with you. He says, yeah, what's What's up? And you go, you made me sick. I made you sick? How did I make you sick? Well, the M&Ms you gave me, were they bad? No, they were great, but, but I ate them and you made me sick. Well, well, son, how much did you eat? All of them. You ate all of them? Well, yeah, you gave them to me. I ate all of them. He's like, oh, why would you eat all of them? Because you gave them to me. Why would you give them to me if you didn't want me to eat them all? Then your dad says this to you. I gave them to you because you had friends over and I wanted you to share. (laughs) Well, dad, if you wanted me to share, why didn't you give the M&Ms to them? Why did you give the M&Ms to me? Then your dad says this. Because I wanted you to have the joy of holding the M&Ms and sharing it with others. Oh, okay. Sorry, Ethos. You know, here's the reality God has given you more than you need. And some of us are making ourselves sick on it and we're blaming God. God, how could you? How could you do this to me? And God's going, Why are you consuming all of it? I gave that to you to share. We're going, oh, but I, but I thought like since you gave it to me, like it was all, it was all for me. God's going, no, 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 I, I gave it to you so you could be the one that gets to share the party-sized bag of M&Ms. Now, I know this is a serious illustration, but it is really hard for me to be holding a bag of M&Ms and not eat them. So if you don't mind, I just, I, I just got to take a moment. And hopefully, hopefully you don't mind. But I mean, oh, oh, and you smell, oh. Mm. <laughs> Guys, I'm telling you what, these M&Ms are amazing. I mean, I wish, I wish you could taste what I'm tasting right now because these are, these are so good. Yeah, <laughs> That's a good idea. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share. Here you go. You can have my peanut butter. Oh, dude. My whole bag right there. That's yours. <laughs> See, the reality is 
God has so blessed each one of us, and he is so excited to watch what you do with it, unless you make yourself sick. And God is going, why would you do that? Live in the overflow. Watch how much fun they're having right now, passing around a bag of peanut M&Ms. Because this is the overflow that God has for each of us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, and we're going to give you a card. And I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider filling out this card. Now, in advance, we are not collecting these. This is not for us, okay? So this is not a, hey, you made a commitment to the church. This is between you and God. This is not for the church. Because here's the reality. When we talk about giving, the number one thing people get confused and go, oh, the church needs this. The church has a problem. No. The reason we teach giving is because this is a way for you to tangibly experience Jesus. So what I'm going to ask you to do is prayerfully consider between you and him. This is not between us. Between you and him, which one of these would you fill out? You can fill out none of the four, all of the four, or any combination thereof. And here are the options. These are practical things that we have talked about for the last month of ways to experience the overflow. Number one, I will live in the overflow by asking God what percentage I should give. Some of you have never had this conversation. You have never asked God, hey, what's the, what's the starting point for me, the baseline that I begin with? How do I, how do I start there? And so I just want to encourage you. Maybe that's where you need to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have that conversation with God. We're going to pray about, as a family, what percentage should we give? Second one, committing to progressive giving. Right? Maybe you go, I got my percentage, and I'm committing right now. I'm increasing it. Every year, I'm going to challenge myself so it's not dependence on me. It's dependence on God. I'm in. I'm going to do progressive giving. Number third, living on a lower income than I make. Contentment. Hey, I'm acknowledging right now, I don't need to eat the entire bag of M&M's. I have it, but I'm going to learn to live on less. I'm not going to make myself sick on it. I'm going to give it away to others. Number four, by automating my giving, right? We talked about it last week. Hey, I'm going to get this percentage or whatever, and I'm going to set it up so I'm not having to wonder, am I experiencing the generosity that I have set? Again, here's the reality. We made these thick so that you can keep them somewhere. These are you to take home between you and God. This is not for us. I encourage you, put this in your Bible. Put it on your mirror at home. Put it in your car. Put it somewhere where you will think about it. When the novelty of the overflow series is ended and you go, oh, yeah, I remember that I wanted to experience that. And it's going to take something practical for me to actually do that. And we're just giving you four options that we've talked about of ways that I believe you can experience a life of overflow. And the reality is God wants to, you know, what, what Paul talked about in First Timothy, God wants to just richly give you all that you need for your enjoyment. He is the dad who gives you the party sized bag of M&M's, and we get it so confused and so twisted, we go, no, he just wants to take from me. God's going, give it away and watch what I will give you. Give it away and watch how I will show up. And as a church, we want to be a church of generosity, a church that is just overflowing to the people around us. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to show you a video of a couple that has understood the overflow concept uh, in incredible ways. And I pray this will be as big of an encouragement to you as it is to me. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we want to be people of the overflow. And we acknowledge that it is so hard to do sometimes. It is so hard to choose contentment when everything around us is telling us we need more. We pray that you'd give us a perspective that we can only find in you that tells us we don't need more. And that the life that is truly life is not dependent on us getting more, but on us giving away more. 
May we see that this is what you're inviting us to experience. God, for those of us who feel sick on how much we have consumed, would you teach us the joys of sharing, the joys of looking to the needs of those around us and giving ourselves away. God, may we see you, experience you, and notice you in radical new ways as we learn to live lives of the overflow. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was at Earthlink for, for 10 years, and while I was there, you know, Earthlink stock went public. And overnight, my stock, stock options were, you know, several million dollars. I show up to work the next day, and there were um, uh, administrative assistants showing up, you know, in their new, you know, Audi TTs and uh, VPs showing up in their, you know, new Mercedes Benzes. And I uh, came to work with my uh, my car, you know, the 91 Geo Metro, <laughs> you know, three cylinders. <laughs> I'm Tom, and this is my wife Bree, and we live in Pomona, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. It is the fourth largest city in Alley County. It's bigger than Pasadena. Uh, but it is also the second poorest city in Alley County. So it's, that's a lot of poverty over a large population. When I was in college, Isaiah 58 convicted me of God's love for the poor. And I felt like I didn't understand his heart for the poor. And I wanted to because I wanted to understand more of God's heart. And so because of that, um, I moved to Pomona, California to the inner city um, to work with the poor and see how God worked and what his love was like. When we were engaged and decided that we would live at or, meet, or below the medium household income level for the nation, um, we looked at our budget and we realized that one of the first things that was going to get impacted was uh, this honeymoon trip that we had been talking about, this overseas trip. What's amazing is a year later, we get a call from Target, and they said, congratulations, you've won our honeymoon giveaway sweepstakes. And they said, and you, you registered for a Califon pan. Which we still have. Which we still have. And they said, that automatically entered you into the Califon Target give, you know, honeymoon giveaway sweepstakes. What we won was a seven-day, all-expense-paid trip to Tuscany, Italy. It was really amazing, but what I remember from that time was um, Bree turning to me and saying, this is God's confirmation that He will take care of us, that He will be generous, and He will give us more than, you know, than we can imagine. And that's been true. Growing up in the suburbs, I never really got to know many people. I never got to know my neighbors, people who drive their cars into their uh, garages and go in their house and come back out through their garages and, you know, I actually never saw anyone. And one day, Bree and I were walking down the street in front of our apartment and two boys stopped us in the street. And they asked us if we knew the Bible. And we said, yes, we do. And they said, would you teach it to us and our friends? And we said, sure, yeah. Come to our apartment Wednesday at 5 p.m. You know where we live, and we'll teach you the Bible. And so they show up Wednesday, 5 p.m., with half a dozen of their friends. Every week they show up to study the Bible. 
I've never had that happen to me before in the suburbs, but in a place of, where there's a lot of darkness, even the kids know, they feel, that there's gotta be something more. There must be something better. And we get to be a part of that light, be part of um, shining God's light here in this neighborhood. Um, living in Pomona in the inner city gives us a lot of unique ministry experiences. There was a girl named Jenny um, who had, I had known for many years and we invited her to live with us at the point when her life started to fall apart. Well, in the first month, she put on 10 pounds because she was just eating regular meals again and getting up at a normal time, getting to school. I went to the high school and got her transcripts and she was still failing every class across the board. But in the remaining 12 weeks of school, she got all her grades up. She finished with A, Bs, and Cs. Uh, that year, as with you know, other years, you know, we continued to live on the medium household income level, which was about 45,000 that year. But uh, on Jenny, we probably spent uh, an extra 30,000 just on her. We saw Jenny's life completely change in 12 weeks from being a very undernourished and depressed young girl to um, really coming alive. And it was amazing that God would have us be a part of that transformation for her in her life. And I think we have to just believe as people who follow Jesus that our lives can make a difference um, when we follow him in what we're called to do. I, I had heard from a good friend, um, neighbors that we'd known for 15 years that they were not living in their apartment anymore and they were living in their mom's place um, with a heroin addict in the living room and the TV on all night. And I could see in the kids' faces that um, their life was just crumbling and that they really weren't doing well because of the environment. Even though Irma's a great mom, Jerry's a great dad, um, it just, it, you can't really raise a family in a living room with uh, people coming in and out and heroin needles all around. Rhea and I started thinking about the idea that maybe God was calling us to invite the Raylisses, Jerry and Irma, and their kids to, to move in with us. It was amazing to be family together. And, and it was you know, similar to when we had Jenny live with us, you know, the, just a sense of family, her being part of her family, the, the power of family. When the Raylisses left, you know, I knew there was emotional challenges for Cadence some of the time, right? Because she did lose some of her space and she did lose some of her toys. And I asked her afterwards, well, what, what did you learn? It was hard, but, um, but then, yeah, but if you let it happen, your heart gets bigger and there's more, and there's room for more people, so it's really worth it. People will come to Tom and I sometimes and ask how they live their lives um, radically or, you know, following Jesus um, in a similar way we do. And, and there's, the one answer to that is you really have to ask Jesus what he's given you and what he's asking you to give away and what he's asking you to hold on to. So there's no a formula for what kind of life to live. There's only a listening to Jesus and a conviction. And all you have to do is ask how with what God's given you.